Good morning. Everybody doing all right? Well, I, I did shave for y'all this morning. I did, so it'd be good and shiny for you. It's, it's harder than it sounds, okay? Because I had to clip and shave yesterday, and this morning I had to reshave because it grows back really fast. Believe it or not, I can grow hair, uh, just not in all the places I want to. Um, and I got, and I'm on my way to church this morning, and I look in the mirror, and there's one thing I forgot. I could see hair sticking out of my ears about that far. And so I thought, this, you know, I don't want it in HD all over CN2 all over Rock Hill. So I thought, I've got to figure this out. So I got my big paper cutting scissors, and I was down there trying to cut it, but I couldn't do it. <laughs> and, um, and I walked back in my office, and I set the scissors down, and I saw, I, thought, I think, the answer to my problem. You know those little lighters that you light candles with? If I'm lying, I'm dying. This is how dumb I am sometimes. I thought, I'm going to try that. And I flicked that thing on and poof, poof. But I didn't think about how mad it stunk. So I'm walking around going, I smell burnt hair. Well, it's because I burnt hair out of my ears. Um, so I got some, uh, only thing I could find was the hand sanitizer, so I rubbed it in my ears. I mean, that's the morning I've had up until now. So I don't know what your morning's been like. But that's me. If you want to know a life, a day in the life of David. Um, my dad, when he was a teenager, got his first car. It was a, a A model or a T model. I can't remember exactly which kind of car it was. But daddy bought it himself. And they were headed to town. And grandpa was walking down the road. So daddy and them pull up in the car and say, Grandpa, where are you going? He says, I'm headed to town. And they said, well, why don't you just let us give you a ride to town, Grandpa? He says, no, son, I'm in a hurry. I'm going to walk. Um, and that was the truth. He wasn't riding the car. He was in a hurry. He was going to walk where he was going because he could get there quicker in his mind, okay? So he settled. You know, that's just, that's just the way it worked. Well, this morning I want to talk a little bit about settling. And I want to talk about uh, the areas in our lives where we got stuck where we've plateaued, where the kind of growth God wanted to do in us and through us didn't happen. Where are those areas in my story or your story that just got stalled? God wants to do something special for your life, and he wants you to help you to have a clear way to get from where you are now to where he wants you to be. Have you stalled in your relationship with God? I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking if you have a Bible study. I'm asking if you have stalled in your relationship with God. You say, I'll do better, I'll do better, but it just never happens. The children of Israel were, were trapped in Egypt in a very uh, terrible, terrible time of slavery. They were underneath somebody else's power in Egypt. And they would make bricks for the Egyptians to build their buildings, and if they didn't make enough bricks, the uh, Pharaoh said, well, then let their children be thrown into the building as used as bricks if they don't make their quota. They were underneath a terrible power over them. But God sent his servant Moses to go and deliver the children of Israel out of that bondage, out from under the control of Pharaoh. And the children of Israel spent a lot of time traveling in the wilderness. And we know their path kind of went like this, didn't it? Kind of went around and around and about and around. Because they had to get to a place of obedience and to where God could show them what he wanted to do. And so their children of Israel were just kind of meandering around. But we know where they were headed, right? We know where they were going. 
In, in chapter 33 of Numbers, it says this, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you pass over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, in 30, chapter 34, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the people of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land of Canaan, this land that has been chosen as your inheritance. Chapter 35, And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you cross Jordan into the land of Canaan, where were the children of Israel headed? Somebody's almost sure. Canaan? Almost there. They're Canaan. They were headed to Canaan. But you know what happened is as they're going along their path, they ended up at a mountain called Mount Horeb. And that's where they stuck. They got to Mount Horeb and they set up camp, all two to three million of them. It's not really a camp, right? It's like a city. They set up the camp. They set up the, all their, 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 they knew where to get water. They knew where to go get food. They knew how to trade with the people around them. And they kind of liked Mount Horeb. It had kind of become their home, and they settled there. They stuck there. But that's not where they were supposed to go, is it? They were supposed to go to Canaan, which just was just miles away. The land that God had promised them, the land that God had said, this is your inheritance, was just miles away. And yet they settled at Horeb because it was comfortable. And in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6, the Lord our God said to us at Horeb, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. You've stayed long enough at this mountain, Israel. You have gotten way too comfortable. You're too familiar. They didn't want to change. And God said, you have been at this mountain long enough. The Israelites had settled for the status quo. The known, the easy, the convenient. See, Christians often fall into the comfort trap as well. We say, I'm, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I've been baptized. I have a nice car. I have a nice home. Nice kids. Nice neighborhood. I have a nice church. Why do I want anything else? Why do I need anything else? I have everything that I need. And somehow we trick ourselves into thinking that comfort, oh, that's a blessing from God. And we think, hey, I've got everything I want. Why do I want to take another step in any direction? Tozer put it this way. I love A.W. Tozer. Tozer maintains if we were asked the church, if I was, we was to ask you, what's the worst enemy the church faces today? Some people would say, oh, it's, it, it used to be maybe liberalism. And, you know, there's people saying the book of Moses ain't real and, and, and Jesus never rose from the dead and there is no such thing as miracles and he's not coming back. And, but we don't have people standing up in our church saying that, do we? Some people might say it's culture. Our culture is completely against our faith. As a matter of fact, you go put up a nativity scene, they're going to try to rip it up. Because culture is fighting us. You watch TV. Everything on TV is getting perverted, and it's because the culture is attacking us. But here's what Tozer says. 
The treacherous enemy facing the church of Jesus Christ today is the dictatorship of the routine. When the routine becomes Lord in the life of the church and its people. When routine becomes the Lord in the life of the church and its people. And Tozer says it happens in stages. This is a thing that happens in stages. The first one is this. He calls routine the first one. But too many are caught up in the routine. Repeating without feeling. Without meaning. Without wonder. Without any happy surprises or expectations. See, we get caught up in the routine where we come before God and we walk into our daily lives and we have no expectation that God Almighty is going to do anything powerful in and through us. We come to church service and we sit here and we hear some good music and we hear some good things said from the pulpit and then we leave here and we go about our everyday routine life and nothing moves us. There is no meaning and purpose to this other than I'm supposed to come and sit here. And Tozer says, we go one step further to what he calls a rut, which is bondage to the routine. It's where we've fallen into the routine where there is no purpose, no meaning, no wonder anymore about Almighty God, no expectation of what God is going to do in and through you. And then we fall into a rut. A rut's been described as a grave that's kicked out on both ends. You fall into the rut. And then Tozer says the the absolute worst thing happens in the next stage. The third stage is the rot. This is best explained with the psychology of non-expectation takes over. And spiritual rigidity sets in. Which is an inability to visualize anything better and a lack of desire for improvement. And a lack of desire to see it get better. When we fall into that comfortable routine, when we've got everything we want and everything we need and we ain't worried about anybody outside our bubble and we live our lives that way and we fall into the routine and the rut and we can't see any way of getting out of it and then all of a sudden we get into the rot where we can't even see anything different. But we we have spiritual rigidity. We're going to go to church and we're going to do the churchy things but we're not doing anything for God Almighty. In order to move forward, we need to be able to name our mountain. Can you name your mountain where you've been stuck in your faith, where there isn't growth? It's familiar and it's comfortable, yes. But maybe it's about the leftovers. You've been feeding off the leftovers of what God did in your life 5, 10, 15 years ago. You haven't had an encounter with Jesus in a very long time. See, maybe God wants to whisper you today. And God wants to say, listen, you've stayed long enough at this mountain. You've been stuck here long enough. God wants to move you away from that mountain towards where he wants you to be. But listen, if you want to move forward, it begins with naming your mountain. It begins with being honest about your mountain, about where you're at. And nobody can name your mountain for you. Your mountain may be your job. You may be in a job that God has said, this is not where I want you. But God, I'm making a lot of money. This is your job that you're in. And, and God says, I've got something better for you. But God, I, I, 
I've got a certain amount of lifestyle that I've built up. I have a certain size house and a mortgage, and I can't just, I've got this for you. I need you to go do this for me. But God, and your job has become your mountain to keep you from where God wants you to be. Or maybe it's relationships. Maybe there's a relationship that's causing you to, to, to stray from God, that you need to step away from that relationship. Or maybe there's a relationship that you need to go mend and you need to go heal and you need to go say, I'm sorry. Or maybe there's somebody that you just need to forgive. But those have become mountains to you and they're blocking your way to see where God wants you to go. Or maybe we're just lazy. Maybe when God tells us to pray, we go, okay, I'll pray some. But I'm not going to make it a part of my life. Maybe when God says, hey, I need you to go share the gospel, well, I'll go take a class on it, but I'm not really ever going to tell anybody. Maybe it's, maybe it's laziness. I don't know what your mountain is. But if you're going to move forward, you've got to name your mountain. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord said, God said to us at Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn. He says, Turn. Turn. The whole idea of repentance is turning away from something towards something new. It's about turning your perspective, changing your mind and philosophy and your mindset. A complete shift of priorities. This is what God is trying to do with the Hebrews. He's trying to show them, listen, you're just miles away from the promise I have for you. And he needs his people to quit being so fixated on the mountain. And to think about where he wants them to go. So God is saying, hey, he's saying, turn. You can't follow me by sitting still. I need you to turn. I need you to quit being comfortable. The Lord our God said to us in Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go. Go in and take possession of the land that I swore to your fathers. That would be for your inheritance. Turn and take your journey and go. So I think this is where many of us stall. This is where God kind of puts a line in the sand for us. And he says, listen, I've brought you this far. I've shown you your mountain. Now it's time for you to respond to the truth I've given you about what you're dealing with. And it's time for you to take a step forward. Now will you go? Will you take a step and another and gain some ground? And will you move forward and press on even when it's difficult? See, some of us start out really good, but then it gets difficult, and we go back to the mountain and say, oh, I'll try it later. And we need to hear the heart of God. God says, turn, set your journey, and go. Because what's waiting for you is so much better than here. And I don't know how to make this real, but this summer we're going to Jamaica. And I'm going to take a bunch of students and some adults down to Jamaica, and we're going to do missions. And I want you to think about you. And if I took you to Jamaica with us, and we were out there trying to share the gospel, and I said, here, go share the gospel with those three young people right over there, what would your response be? A fear that freezes you and you can't do it? Or you're completely afraid, I don't even know what to say? 
an inability to step forward in faith and allow God to speak to you. Because I've been on mission trips, guys. I've done that to people, and I've saw people struggle, and I've saw people step through that and, and name their mountain as fear and step over that and go share the gospel and God do something. And I've seen people retreat to the back and say, I can't do it. And these are, these are Sunday school teachers. So what's your mountain? Listen, you've got to turn. You've got to name your mountain, and then you've got to turn. And then God says, you've got to go. You've got to put some action to this. Turn and set your journey. Go for what's waiting for you is much better than here. How do we get started on our journey toward what God has for us? The first thing is to make a plan. To make a plan. We know how to make plans, don't we? I mean, we know it. If you were going to go to Disney this summer, you just going to go down there and just, hey, we'll figure it out when we get there? No. There's some crazy people that way. I'm just going to tell you. I, I know a couple of them. It, it never ends pretty. I just... <laughs> But we, you know what we do is we make sure we got off work and we make sure we've got the money and then we get a hotel ahead of time and then, and then when we buy our tickets for Disney and I've seen some people that are really crazy and they'll have at 9 o'clock we're going to be on this ride and we're going to get a fast pass for these three rides and then we're going to be, I mean, it's, that gets really nuts. I can't even think that far ahead. I mean, whew. Um, but we know how to make a plan. So we need to add that kind of tenacity to our faith and to our spiritual lives. And we need to say, God, I need to make a plan to get away from this mountain. And we need to sit down and put meat to it. And then the next step is to share it. To share that plan. Get knee to knee, eye to eye, nose to nose with somebody in the body of believers and share what you're getting ready to do. Because listen, it's a great thing that God gave us a community of believers to support one another. I mean, that's awesome. So I can sit down and I can look at this person and say, this is my mountain and this is where I'm going. This is my plan. And they'll look at you and go, this is my mountain and this is where I'm going and this is my plan. Make a plan, share it, and then recognize your sticking points. Recognize that there's going to be points that you're going to stick. I had someone come into my office this past week. And they had made a plan to read the Bible all the way through. Hadn't done it in a long time, they said, but they just felt like God was telling them to. So they started reading the Bible, and they got to Leviticus. Yeah, some of you have tried that, right? And Leviticus dropped the hammer on them. Pow! You know, I can't do it. But they wasn't giving up. You know what they did? They recognized that as a sticking point, and they come to me, and they said, Listen, what do you have to help me get over this? Because I think they saw, listen, if I read all the way to Leviticus and get bogged down and stop, then I've missed most of the Bible. But what they're saying is, listen, if you read the whole Bible and not Leviticus, you've done pretty good. And so they came and got some tools, and they're actually studying through that. They recognize their sticking point. You're going to have those. And then set it for 40 days. They say whatever you do for 40 days. You hear that a lot. Do this for 40. Do this for 40. You know, eat tofu for 40 days. You'll get skinny. Well, yeah, because it tastes terrible. Um, I'm sorry if you like tofu. I hear if you pour beef fat on it, it tastes pretty good. Um, but, but you know what I'm saying? It's like 40 days, anything you do is going to become a habit. So give enough time for whatever you're doing and your plan to work itself out. Don't c- cut yourself short. And then the last thing is this, recalculate and celebrate. Celebrate the progress that you've made up until this point. 
Celebrate it. Get together with that guy or girl you've been talking to. Say, man, I just want to tell you, this is what God did. This is what God has done in my life. See, I want to take a step and keep taking them and to get more into the Word than I was yesterday. More of God than than I had yesterday. More sensitive to my sin than yesterday. And tomorrow I will be better than yesterday. And then little by little I won't see myself at that mountain anymore. I will have moved away from where I was and to where God wants me to be. How many of you can name your mountain? I hope the Holy Spirit's been whispering to you this morning about your mountain. You have a choice. You can stay put. You can stay status quo. You can be in the comfort trap. You can say, I've got everything I need right now. God, I don't need anything else. You can do that. Or you can turn. You can decide, I want what God has planned for me. And then you can set your plan and share the plan and start on your, on your journey. See, God wants to take us from where we are because we get so fixated on the mountain. We get so fixated on success or relationships or, or just comfort. But God says, I want to do this in you. I want to do this for you. I want to do this in and through you. All I need you to do is to name your mountain and turn and go. Leave the rest up to me. Because he's got the plan on over the road. You ain't got to plan out where you're going to head because he, he didn't say right. God says, I've got the promised land planned for you. I've got the plan for you. I just need you to be willing to go. And listen, I understand every time I preach that this is true. There's probably somebody in this room that has never left Egypt. That has never left being under the control of someone else. That have not been delivered yet. That have not taken the time to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And listen, God has something so much better for you. If you're willing to name your sin, your mountain is your sin, and say, God, I'm sorry. And you turn, you repent away from that and say, God, I'm going to follow you. And I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And God says, I've got a a plan for you that you can't even imagine. Now, I've left this sermon a little general today, and I did that on purpose because... I wanted the Spirit to speak to you. And we're fixing to open up the altar here in just a second. If the little singing people want to come on, that's fine. We're going to open up this altar. And I've told you all time and time again, this altar is special to me. Because it is a time where God's people show their humility. It's a time where God's people sitting in those pews, that they, in those chairs that they've sat in Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and, and they're in the routine, and they're rigid, and they've got that religious thing down pat, but they need to have a broken heart before God, and they need to come and fall on their faces up here at this altar and say, God, I'm sorry that I have spent my time being lazy and for you and not giving enough to your kingdom. And I tell you what that does, that encourages the people in the church. The whole church is lifted up when God's people humble themselves. 
And we need to quit living off the leftovers of what he did a month ago or a year ago or two years ago or ten years ago. And today is the day that God wants to move in your heart and your life if you will let him. And listen, I don't get a pay raise if a lot of people come to the altar. But I was was just raised that this altar means something. And it should mean something to to his people who come forward and show their humility before him and before others. So if you haven't been down here in a long time and you know God's been speaking to you about your mountain, get off your tush and come up here and kneel before Almighty God. Because he's worth it. And he might just set you on a path that you haven't been on maybe in a while or one that you never dreamed or imagined. So this morning as we sing, this altar's ready. It just needs God's people to fall at it and to ask him to forgive them.